0: Hello, everyone. This is Martin Willis, your host of the Antique Auction Forum podcast, and I'm real excited about today's show. And you know why? Because you won't hear any other podcast that was recorded live at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts, Paul Revere, Time Capsule Opening. Now, this happened on January 6, and I was joined by my good friend Dan Sullivan of Gemmer.com. It was a real exciting event. It was a part of American History, And we were right there recording it. There was a lot of great energy in the room. And you're going to hear some amazing conversations I had with incredible people, including the woman who actually opened the box, Pam Hatchfield. And she'll be on later in the podcast. So sit back and have yourself a good listen. Welcome to the podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. This show is sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at Gemmer.com. This is Martin Willis, and I'm here with Dan Sullivan. How are you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. How are you? And we are here at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston at the Paul Revere Time Capsule Opening. How exciting is that? And Dan's with Gemmer.com. And thanks for joining me. This is going to be a lot of fun, huh? Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean,
1: we we kind of know what's in it, so there's not too much of a surprise. But it should be should be pretty awesome to uh,
0: to see all these things opened here again at the Museum of Fine Arts, and with a couple of very important people involved in this Paul Revere event. And uh, Carol
2: Cornelison, and uh, what are you, the director of? I'm the commissioner for the Division of Capital Asset Management and Maintenance. And
0: we're also with uh, Bijet And would you say your name and what your title is, please?
3: B.J. Mohammed Report, Director of Engineering for, for DCAM.
0: All right. And I want to talk to you especially tonight because from what I understand, you've been searching for this for 25 years. Did I hear that right? And you've been looking through documents. And uh, it must have been pretty exciting to finally find
3: this. Well, not necessarily searching for it for 25 years. We have located 25 years ago, and we've been monitoring it for 25 years. But over 25 years, not that we just monitor, that we researched a lot of the uh, documents, a lot of historical documents, uh, looking through all the archives, getting all the information that what actually contains within the uh, box. We located the actual uh, inventory of uh, 1855 when they had to actually remove the time capsule for some uh, uh, construction work that they had to do at the foundation of the statehouse at that time they located, because there were coins that they found on the dirt, they didn't know themselves at that time. And there was six years or so after they had put it in 19, uh, or 1795. So uh, we, we located all the document with the uh, complete description of uh, all the items in the box. And from there, we've been monitoring it to just make sure everything is fine and good.
0: Now I'm going to ask you, um, uh, Carol, a couple of questions in a minute, but I, uh, I want to direct a few to um, BJ, and that is Um, It's going to go back in the building, yes?
3: Uh, Well, it will go back. It's a time capsule that belongs to the State House, and it will go back into the same uh, location at the cornerstone that it's been uh, set for it uh, in 1795.
0: Um, When it's put back, are there going to be any sensors of any type to make sure that it's well kept and, and, and safe?
3: No, usually we don't, you don't provide sensors as far as making sure that there's no water infiltrations or damaging that. The technology today allows you to just build a box to uh, kind of protect it from any type of water infiltrations.
0: And the, the last the question that comes to mind right off the bat, what don't we know what's in there?
3: Well, we, what we've got, it's the uh, write-up of the different plates, especially there's a plate from Paul Revere in there. There's a seal from George Washington in there. And we, we don't know the shape and how actually the, the silver plate is looked like. We know what the description is in it because of what they wrote in uh, 1855. But uh, seeing it, it would be a different thing because we have not seen it. We just know what each, uh, kind of, it's written on it. Uh, we don't know... Uh, the condition of it, uh, nor uh, how it's really been described on I mean. it. And one thing I,
0: I was thinking about is how um, how well the documents will be preserved, what's left of them, and um, there's really no information on those documents at this time, is there?
3: Uh, when you say there's no information on the document, I'm not following that. but be, as far as the condition of it, no. Well, I mean, that's the reason you've got the conservators to look at it and just see the condition of it as soon as it gets opened up has not been opened since 1855. So the condition is based on x-rays and everything else so far. It, they are together. We don't see too much uh, damages through the x-ray, but you don't know until you're opened up. Right.
0: And Carol, what's your, your connection with uh, working with this uh, whole procedure and getting this done?
2: Well, it's the Division of Capital Asset Management and Maintenance that under BJ's leadership as Director of Engineering that we have been responsible for really arranging um, what we needed to do to pull out the uh, stone that had the time capsule embedded in it. And so once it was clear that in order to really deal with a water infiltration problem, another part of BJ's job monitoring that at the statehouse, that we really had to begin to do that repair work. Um, then um, it was clear to us that you know we needed to you know embark on this project. So um, I'm not uh, directly involved in it, but certainly you know as part of the management team of DECAM and as the commissioner. Um, Work with uh, BJ and his team to make sure this gets pulled off
3: successfully.
2: So,
1: how are you guys feeling in anticipation of of opening this? Obviously, it's something you've been working on for a long time.
3: I can tell you very easily that I did not sleep last night. I just could not sleep. I had a lot of. uh, I had been dreams about John Adams and Washington because I've been reading the books about this uh, for so many years and everything else. When it gets to this point, uh, it's a dream come true. It's, It's when you are able to um, put a small wrinkle, but still is a wrinkle, into the history. And you go back into the foundation of the country and you, you go back into that. History is something different that we, we respected uh, with a lot of care. And uh, that's the reason we took this challenge for 25 years and uh, I'm glad to see it now. They're coming up and it's exciting.
2: It's very exciting I'm someone who was uh, trained in um, history, went to uh, undergraduate school and majored in history and, and graduate school for that matter. So uh, history is close to my heart. American history is very close to my heart. Um, and really being able to see some real live documents and artifacts from uh, 1795, it's really mind-blowing. So we're all excited. I, I would say our whole organization is really excited. I'm also excited to know what both uh, Governor Patrick and Governor Baker are going to want to put in the new time capsule.
1: Do we have any idea what they're
0: going to put in?
2: Right now, we have no idea. But you know, um, you know, we're anxious to find out what their thoughts are.
0: I hope it's not a beanie baby or something. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know i'm particularly excited for this too i grew up in a house um my my dad is heavily involved in the antiques industry he's an antique dealer and he's actually an appraiser on antiques roadshow so you know when i was a kid anytime we had free weekends we were going to museums and doing all kinds of things like this so this is you know i'm particularly excited i have a a strong interest in history if you will so i'm, I'm pretty psyched to see to see how this looks
0: Okay, we're waiting for the time capsule to be opened. It's 6.05, and someone just came out and said, we're waiting for the governor, Deval Patrick. So that's it for the clips before the opening of the box. I tried to do a play-by-play during the opening, but uh, people were turning around and looking at me. I was making too much noise. So the next clips that you're going to hear are post-opening of the Paul Revere time capsule. All right, I'm with Jim. Jim, uh, we're standing here in line waiting to go up and see the coins and the artifacts taken out of
4: the box. Um, pretty exciting, don't you think? It's very exciting. Um, it's a historical day to to witness historical documents that we haven't seen in over 150 years and were placed in by our, our founding fathers. Yeah. And
0: we were talking earlier about, you mentioned who you thought Paul Revere was. You know, I mean, he was a statesman. He was really important. And by the time this went in, it's hard to say whether that plaque was actually made by him. What do you think about that in general?
4: Well, I, I think Paul Revere was, was definitely by that time a, a senior statesman of the Commonwealth and of the country. Um, whether he had any role in the producing production of the plaque, um, we don't know. Maybe they'll figure this out through the conservation efforts. Um, um, but just the thought of it is exciting. You know, thinking that he could have had his hand not just in the, the, um, the implementation of the of the capsule, but also the the actual production of that artifact, that that silver placket. It, it's, uh, it's fascinating to think think about. Now I know there's supposed to be some
0: type of like cards or something in one of the newspapers. That'll be exciting when they slowly take that apart. Um, in general, um, what would you say the most exciting thing was that they Pulled out myself as a plaque. Uh,
4: the plaque it was very exciting, but I also was re, was impressed by the fact that there was a presidential coin um, for George Washington. Uh, represents not just his presidency, but also spoke a little bit about being the general of the Continental Army um, during the Revolution. Um, you can't get any more historic than, than than George Washington in the Revolution. So that that's a very significant piece, I think. Absolutely. So the
0: the they were talking about earlier the pine tree coin. Uh, valued, if it went to auction today at 75000 But this is a little bit different story when something like this comes out of the box that is a time capsule. Uh, what would you... Whoops. There they are. Oh, yes. They're all coming out of the room right now. Just um, in general everyone 's always trying to put prices on things, and what would you say would add to a price of i 'm just getting an opinion only
4: honestly, I think the the, the contents are priceless because of what it represents it represents our nation, our history, um, you know, and the soul of, of our country, and um, you really can 't put a price on, on, on history it doesn 't matter whether it 's a, a, a coin, a document, a handwritten note. Um, it's something that's significant, and, and, and I, I couldn't even think of what, a, what, you know, what it's worth. To me, it's, it's priceless. For, for me, who's a you know, historian buff, especially U.S. history, it's priceless. To others, it may just be a coin. Um, but those coins aren't just pieces of metal with dates on. They represent not just our nation, but what we, what we were before that. We were, we were a colony. We were, we were part of a different culture, a different nation. So it goes from the 1600s all the way up to the 1850s um, before the nation was divided. Um, so it really represents the, the founding of, of our early part of our nation.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. My pleasure. So, BJ, we're back again after the opening. And uh, you're, you're grinning ear to ear. Uh, and
3: densa. Yeah. Ah, thank you, Ryan. Thank so you. So how exciting uh, was it to be it, right up there? It, very, very exciting. It, it, it went. When you're right there and you make the connection to the history, it's there's nothing that you can describe it. Those are the moments that we have numbers for every unit of whatever we are trying to guess. But when we don't have no numbers to describe it, we use infinity. Because nothing matches up the numbers that we understand. That I call it infinity. For me, that's how I felt. I cannot put it Measurement into it. I
0: love that. I love that. What? Now I have to ask this. What was your favorite thing that came out of that box?
3: Every single piece. Every there is a, you know when you get you get it's a search. It's what I have done for 25 years. And when you look at it, it's it's like the kids. You don't differentiate between your kids. You love them all because who they are. And that's what it is. It's a box that they've been after for 25 years. And it makes me proud to just see it all together. The whole family comes together.
0: That's great. Thanks so much. Okay, we're standing in line going up to the contents. And I'm here with, in your name, please? John Roberts. Now, John, um, what brought you here and how excited were you to get here tonight? Um,
2: it's very exciting. I work for Walsh Brothers. We're a general contractor. and We were hired to actually get the stone out of the wall. So that's why we got invited here today.
0: How about that? Boy, that must have been exciting to actually look inside and see this thing sitting there.
2: Well, oh, I, I actually wasn't there. Our superintendent Peter was. He's...
0: Hey, Peter. Hi. You're on the
1: spot now. Peter Who's McKay up? with Walsh Brothers. Hi there. Yeah.
0: And what was it like when you actually saw the, the box?
1: A, a very exciting and, and very humbling, uh, and, and we were all so excited to be a part of, of history we were aware of that. We certainly couldn't let everyone that was working along with us know that leading up to it. be We were just um, taking some stones out of the wall for a, a water infiltration project and, and as it became aware that it was a much more in-depth project than that, we really added to the excitement, especially the day that um, they were removing the capsule from the stone that we had removed that morning.
0: I bet. Okay, I know we have to get up in line. (laughs) Anyway, thank you both. You're welcome. Thanks for talking, Peter. Thank you. On the phone now, two days after the event, with the head of objects conservation at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, and she is the nice lady that opened the box. Pam Hatchfield, how are you?
5: I'm fine, thank you. I'm recovering nicely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. It was a pleasure to meet you the other night, and you were getting pulled when I was trying to talk to you in about six different directions, and uh, you also looked like you were floating at the same time. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I, I think I was, actually. <clears throat> it was a very, uh, you know, tense operation. We don't usually work in that kind of public view um, dealing with the unknowns of what we might find. I mean, it's a very unusual project, to say the least. Let's say unique.
0: (laughs) Yes, and uh, I did have a a few questions along those lines. But first of all, what was it like to have this honor to actually be able to do that? And also, what uh, what was it like to have the responsibility?
5: Well, I was fully aware of the privilege that it was to actually participate in this project and not only to excavate that box but also to open it and be the first one to see what was inside in 160 years. I mean, I, I have worked on objects of incredible importance and significance over my years as a conservator, um, but, but nothing this important in this in this way and nothing that seems to have have captured the um imagination of the american public in such a way and i i have been thinking a lot about about that since since the moment actually since the moment we excavated it um but as far as the practicalities of it i was incredibly nervous earlier in the day Mm -hmm. and um you know, when, I mean, when we work on objects and cultural heritage, we really focus intently on the material at hand. And I was so grateful that Michael Como was there to talk because at certain points you really, we're not used to talking while we're working. We're focusing intensely on the materials and on the little tiny, um, hints that it's giving us every second that we have our hands on it. So it requires intense concentration. So in a way, I was made very much calmer once I could actually do the work because I didn't have to anticipate anymore. I could just be in that relationship with the, with the object itself.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. I never even thought of that. Someone I was speaking to yesterday asked me, uh, I thought was a unique question, and that is, do you believe that this is the most important time capsule that is known in the United States?
5: You know, I, I'm not an expert on time capsules, but it certainly sounds like people think it is. Uh, I wouldn't be the best person to answer that question. Um, one of our curators is is looking into time capsules for me, and actually uh, he found that there have been time capsules put in other buildings in the past, nothing this old, of course, but... Uh, two of them that he found reference to have actually been made out of glass. One was for a bank, and I can't remember what the other one was for, but I thought that was fascinating because glass can be a very stable material depending on its composition, but I thought that was a very interesting material. So I'm personally going to start researching uh, time capsules because I don't know very much about them. Um, In terms of what's been said about this one so far, I think it is the oldest New World time capsule—at least that's that's come into the news. So I wouldn't, don't quote me on it, but that's what's being said. Uh huh. Uh huh.
0: Um, so, what is the closest experience you've ever had of anything like this? Has there been anything up to par?
5: Well, you know, I've been on excavations in Egypt, and um, it is an incredible thrill to turn over a block of stone that has paint on it that nobody's seen in several thousand years. And there's that kind of moment when you catch your breath. I mean, yes, you're a professional, you're concerned about the materials and what they're going to do when they're exposed to the air for the first time, but you, you, you can't help but catch your breath. And it Mm was a similar moment for me. I mean, you know, we handle objects of great value and importance every day and we think about them. I suppose, um, in a way uh, that a doctor might think about his patient before surgery you you can't become terrified that it's you know the mayor or the governor it's 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 material that you have been trained how to handle and treat and so that's you know we have to think about it like that instead of thinking about how important it is and how exciting it is we we treat everything as if it is that important and with that same degree of care um and so uh your your kind of training kicks in and i suppose it's your what do they call it the motor motor memory what are they muscle Mm -hmm. memory in in a way that athletes muscle memory kicks in your training kicks in and you you have you know good solid hands and very careful hands and you watch for these signs of danger and that's what i was looking for i was really Um, my greatest fear was not that I couldn't handle the material or that I might damage something, but that it would not be able to be removed from the box and that everybody who had come to see this thing would have to go away unsatisfied. And that was actually my greatest fear
0: of all. Oh, I bet. And that was one of the questions I had, uh, was wondering what you would have done if that happened. And you just would have to, it would just have to go on hold, right?
5: Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if things had been stuck to... The top of the lid, or if the the paper was really in bad condition and was was um, was powdering, or was really stuck to the sides of the box and couldn't be easily extricated, uh, I would have had to say, you know, I'm so sorry. That's all we can do, and we could have perhaps focused on the five coins that were in the plaster. And talk more about the X-rays and that sort of thing. But I was um, I was hopeful that things would would uh, that the paper at least would be in pretty good condition because it was um, made at this juncture just before they started using um, acidic materials in the paper. Mm-hmm. So I did, really didn't know about the coins because the coins had been treated by acid, and some of them certainly show signs of having suffered uh, from that.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about the future conservation, but. So that was actually a plan B. You had the plan B uh, in place.
5: Yes, but it would have been a very poor substitute for plan A. (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Um, Can you describe to the listener what was the the preparation you did before the box? Because when the box came out in front of all of us, I saw the screws were lifted up. Mm -hmm. Um, So what was that like?
5: So um, we... We knew that it could take a very, very long time just to loosen the screws and we knew that there was some material around the edges and they had called this in 1855, um, hermetically sealed. So we didn't know exactly what that meant, but we knew that it was probably something that couldn't, couldn't quickly be accomplished. So the first thing we did was we did our x-rays and some analysis and determined, um, what the box was made of, which was brass, not bronze, not copper, but brass, and the screws were brass, and um, that the material around the outside contained lead and was, in fact, lead solder, and I had been very hopeful that it was actually going to be some kind of linseed oil and lead, you know, glazing compound like they use on windows, which would have been easier to get through, um, and I also didn't know how much of the solder had gone into the join, you know, uh, where the top of the box meets the base. So, um, the first thing that we did was um, we put this on a drill press, and we did not use anything uh, automated or electric on the drill press, but we very carefully put pressure down using the drill press, and then turned the um, turned turned the screws manually very slowly and carefully, you know lifting up on the pressure to try to raise the screws and i I did put a tiny bit of um, ethyl alcohol in the areas around the screws and tried to clear them of plaster beforehand. And that process took about half a day to loosen the screws. Wow. So nobody would have wanted to sit around watching that happen, watching that paint dry. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then um, we, then I, I very carefully chiseled around the outside to remove some of the corroded lead solder. And then finally, I took very, very thin blades and um, worked them into the join and went around the box, around the join repeatedly so that I could try to loosen it up. It was clear that there was solder in there, and I was cutting through the solder with these very fine steel blades. And that took about two days, actually. Really? Wow. So, and then the moment at which it... um I could see that it was going to lift, um, was a very exciting one and it was quite tantalizing. And we, we tried to see a little bit, but we didn't really want to open the lid until the big moment came.
0: Right. Now, um, while we're at this juncture here, can you describe, um, I tried to do, um, sort of like a sportscaster, a play by play, um, yeah. Yeah. while this was happening, but I just couldn't because I had to be quiet. It just didn't didn't come out let's talk about the layers and uh, mm-hmm. getting through them I know there were, I believe it was five layers of newspaper yeah have the newspapers been unfolded since
5: no and actually I don't know that they are going to be unfolded-hmm
0: is there a possibility mm-hmm. there could be something inside or are you gonna x-ray them
5: uh, well we can do some other uh, x-ray types of imaging to uh, determine whether there is in fact something inside a lot of people have asked if we're going to unfold them and that's really up to uh the commonwealth they will decide if they're going to be opened or not um, unfolded or not i personally would be inclined not to unfold them because their primary importance is that they were folded up and put in that box not so much that they are newspapers from 1855 which we have Um, other examples of so they're not unique as newspapers but they are unique as folded objects that were put into that box so I would be hopeful that they wouldn't be um, that they wouldn't be unfolded and similarly we'll have a discussion about the coins uh, because this is not purely a new or even about their numismatic value it's really about their historical value and you know, we're we're not so happy uh, about the fact that they were um, treated with acid uh, and their surfaces were really, uh, you know, they were burnished, they were treated with acid and then burnished, so they don't have their original surfaces anymore, which is mm. really a shame. It um, is, yeah. <laughs> so we, you know, we would be very circumspect about trying to clean them because we wouldn't want to... You know, have people in another 160 years come back and say, oh, my God, look what they did. We've lost all this information. We know that there's going to be a lot more information accessible to us about the, these materials, about everything, um, as technology improves. And um, I would be very – so my my aim would be to stabilize anything that's actively deteriorating, to try to isolate those materials from one another so that they don't uh, damage each other and um then to provide a very pure environment for them
0: before they go back into the corner before they so. go
5: back yeah and i think there there's discussion about uh wanting to add other materials into the time capsule and because the time capsule doesn't really have room for much else in it i'm guessing that we will um there may be another enclosure which might be included in a slightly larger enclosure that will still fit in that original cavity in the stone Oh, that but would that, make sense. That is all mm-hmm. to be debated yet, and that certainly is not my decision. The Commonwealth will decide. The Mass Archives um, will be the ones to decide, and I guess the state will be the ones to decide all of that.
0: Okay, so just in the you know, because of the time involvement here, can we just kind of quickly go over with what came out sort of in order? We had um, so many layers of paper to the 1855 uh, coins. Yes.
5: Yeah. So I'm looking at uh, the pictures right now and there's the Boston Daily something, the Evening Traveler, uh, I think it's the Boston Daily Bee, mm-hmm. and then another two that I don't, is it one or two, that I don't know what they are. Then there is this um, uh, first page from the records of the colony by Shirtless. And that has a very distinct impression of a lot of coins on it, as do some of the newspapers. Uh, and then all of the coins, uh, the 1855 coins were on top in two layers, and then the 1795 and earlier coins were below. And then, yeah, then there was the um, the plaque. And the front or as you one side of the plaque had been inscribed probably by Paul Revere. I'm looking now at the types of lettering very closely to see whether we see close parallels between other examples of his lettering and the lettering that's on this plaque. And then in 1855, um, they inscribed the back of that plaque because they were very uh, pressed for time, apparently, so they didn't have time to get their own plaque. And so, the, in 1855, it was all again inscribed to commemorate the um, the reinterment of the time capsule. Uh, there also was an inscription on the interior of the lid, um, right, which was very interesting, and um, that was uh, by the brass founder, and his name was written as Andreas J. Gavitt, uh, brass founder. Number 12, Hawthorne, I think it's Hawthorne Street, Boston, 1855, Mass. So he inscribed the inside of the cover of the box. That was and pretty also, exciting
0: to me, actually. It, yeah. Because that's an, it, that um, was an un, unexpected...
5: Right, right. So we're trying to research who he is at this moment. And um, also there seems to be some kind of resin that the box was also sealed with. It's a very sort of brownish, shiny resin. It could be shellac or animal glue or something like that, that clearly the box was sealed with before the soldering took place. So I think that's what they meant when they said hermetically sealed. They did a very thorough job. Uh, and we'll be analyzing all of this and uh, looking very closely at the coins for uh, the Commonwealth so we can give them as much information as possible.
0: Now, when I was standing in line to actually go up and view the objects, of course, the uh, the subject of, of value came up. and mm-hmm. But it was interesting to hear because most people, I, I pushed a couple of people to, well, what do you think? And uh, mm-hmm. the same thing came up as priceless. No one wanted to... No one wants to actually say, and that that is that is a, a very hard topic when it comes to something like this because there's two values of uh, the value of the item itself. For instance, the pine tree coin there, the 1652 right. coin, um, is pretty valuable. But once it comes out of that box, um, there's just no way anyone. If you had to put insurance on that box, it would be very very difficult. Let me put it that way, as an appraiser. Yeah. Yeah. You would not be able well, to come up with comparables. <laughs> um,
5: no. Are you are you an appraiser among yes. other things?
0: Yes. Uh-huh.
5: So so you know all about that because <clears throat> we have a pine tree shilling on view in our galleries, and I'm sure it it has a particular value. But I did a little searching around on the internet, and I found pine tree shillings that varied tremendously in price um, and. You know, as I said, for the newspapers, these are valuable coins. Perhaps the 1795 and earlier coins are less valuable numismatically because of their condition, because they've been Mm -hmm. so aggressively cleaned. But on the other hand, they have incredible value because of who placed them in this box, or who placed them in the original time capsule.
0: Exactly. Now, getting back to the plaque, um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're going to really research that. You know, my, my feeling is... In particular, that was the most interesting piece and beautiful piece that came out of the box, Um, Mm -hmm. but that's my own opinion. You know, Paul Revere, uh, I've had a piece of his before in the past, and I'm surprised that he did not stamp it anywhere, you know, but uh, maybe he was just removing his whole ego type of thing out of the whole situation. You know, it's hard to say. I,
5: I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, we looked through his day books, and we so far have not been able to find a record of doing this piece, but maybe because he was doing it more or less for himself, he, he didn't charge anybody for it. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm guessing it was probably done in a big hurry because uh, I think a tremendous amount of attention had been given to the ceremony of the day and the procession and the elaborate nature of all of that, um, and perhaps the... Uh, the time capsule was, was kind of an afterthought because it was certainly not very well protected. I mean, lead is a great protector of other metals, but just putting these things in between two sheets of lead, wrapping the whole thing in leather, and putting it right on the ground does not suggest a tremendous amount of foresight. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. So I, I, I may so. be
5: reading too much into this, but um, it seems like that could have been a kind of last minute addition to the festivities of the day i'm also very interested in the masonic aspect of this because um the masons rightly so were very prominent these men were all or almost all masons and that was a very important organization for them at the time and they were the ones who who laid this so paul revere had just become the uh grand master of the masons and um sam adams was also a freemason so there's a lot of um pomp and circumstance related to them and and also i think there is a masonic date on here there's uh 4th day of july anno domini 1795 it says on the plaque and then it's al 5795 which i'm presuming is a masonic date
0: oh so uh-huh.
5: i think that's very interesting
0: that is wow Um, Now, for the listener, will they be able to actually come to the museum eventually to see these displayed? Yes. Any ideas of when and how long?
5: They will be displayed. Um, The Secretary of the Commonwealth has said that he would love to have that happen, and we would also. But um, we haven't had a chance to meet since uh, Tuesday night, so... Um they've been very busy down at the state <laughs> with all the inauguration and everything. So uh, I suspect that we'll meet next week and begin to formulate a plan. I mean, the first thing is to determine what needs to be done to these objects uh, in terms of conservation, and um, that will depend on what they would like to have happen. And then we can formulate a plan. But um, uh, I suspect in the next several months we will be able to display them, but I, I really don't know for sure.
0: Sure, okay. And let's talk about your background just briefly. Uh, we're right near the end of the show here and mm-hmm. and also if you would talk about the American Institute of Conservation.
5: Yes, um, the American Institute for Conservation is the membership organization for conservation professionals in the United States. And um, when I say conservation professionals, we are conservators, conservation scientists, collections care specialists, people who have been trained to handle, examine, and treat works of art and artifacts. And that um, includes a broad range of people uh, and a broad range of knowledge. So a conservator such as myself would be trained, there are a few uh, graduate programs, and we are trained in chemistry, uh, studio art, and art history, archaeology, um, anthropology, even this kind of thing. And we specialize in specific areas. For example, I am a sculpture and objects conservator, and that includes archaeological objects all the way up to uh, contemporary objects, although there are conservators who specialize in contemporary art because it's such a particular uh, field with a lot of electronics and media, okay. this kind of thing. So there are furniture conservators, frame conservators, textile conservators, photograph, paper conservators, um paintings conservators of course and um, we're all trained in a specific specialty or a related range of specialties and if um, people would like more information about conservation or they would like to find a conservator in their area or see some of the programs that AIC offers they can go to www.conservation-us.org and that's and I'll send I'll send you that um, I just sent you an email, actually, with that information, a little blurb about about AIC. Uh, but it's a wonderful organization, and it's a great resource. There are a lot of online resources available through AIC, and uh, full disclosure here, I'm the president of the organization right now. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay, so this, this will be all um, in, our, in the show notes for the listener. They can go to the website, which is antiqueauctionforum.com, And all this information will be in the show notes with the links. Um, One last question for you. How has this whole thing changed your life? Or is it too early to know?
5: How has it changed my life? Um, I would say it's been one of the most fulfilling things, one of the most exciting things I've ever done in my professional career, maybe the most exciting thing um, in my professional career to be associated with this and feel like I really do have some small place in history. I mean, I think what excites the public about this so much is that they suddenly see themselves as part of a continuum of history, and um, the fact that these objects can excite people and make them feel as if they are walking in the footsteps of the forefathers of our country I think is so exciting and important, and my message to them is to look around them because it's all around us. You can have this sense of belonging and continuation pretty much anywhere you go. You see a sculpture in a park. You see a monument in a park. You see a building edifice. You come to the museum. You look at these things. You think about who made them, how they were made, why they were made, how is it that they're still surviving, and coming down to us and um, connect with the history behind them. And it's an incredibly enriching experience, especially in our daily lives where we're so hooked into technology and, you know, disposable culture.
0: That's right. And, you know, these things need to be preserved to pass along, you know, so uh, hopefully that will, you know, I'm going to have one more last question for you, (laughs) even though I just said that was the last one. If If you had to guess, when do you think this thing will be opened again? And why? Well,
2: uh,
5: yeah. I like to think that there is going to be much better documentation this time that they'll still be able to read in 160 years, but I don't know. Uh, you know, I, it seems to be in kind of 160 year intervals, uh, so, well, so far at the moment. Um, I guess when there's another leak in the building. <laughs> no, I think, I think there may be, um, a specific date in, well, I don't know that at all. There might be a specific date that the um, state will determine it should be inspected at. Um, also, if we're looking at some kind of an anoxic enclosure for it, in other words, an enclosure that doesn't that excludes oxygen, which is one of the prime agents of deterioration for these kinds of materials, mm-hmm. um, the life. of... The lifetime of the container, and that's a big if. We don't know whether we'll do that or not. The lifetime of the seal of the container will only last so long. So it may be decided that it should be opened in 160 years or 100 years, but we really we have no idea. Hopefully it will not be totally by accident as it was the first time. The second time it was because of the water infiltration project at the state house, and there was such concern about whether the box could have been damaged. There were these Reports and documents saying that there was a um, time capsule in the cornerstone, but nobody really knew for sure until uh, the engineering firm Simpson Gumpertz and Hankel did the uh, did this ground penetrating radar. So we thought we found something there, but we didn't really know till we got in there what it was, whether it could come out, what condition it would be in, and so forth.
0: How exciting! Well, thank you so much. It's been You're a welcome. real thank honor you, and a pleasure.
5: Thank you very much, Martin. Thank you for having me, and uh, best of luck.
0: Thank you. So this is Martin Willis, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. This show was sponsored by Gemmer. Collect and connect at gemmer.com.